stood before my failure You carried the cross for my shame My sin weighed upon your shoulders My soul now to stand So what can I say
and they are going to be doing Beth Moore's study on Jesus, the one and only. And uh, Iron Workers, uh, Chuck Bessler and his men, they will be uh, starting back up on January 10th. And so they got their study that they do over evenings, and so they are continuing their, their, their walk and trying to discover just what does it mean to be a man of God in this current time and age. Uh, go ahead at this time and turn your attention to our screen as we have a biblical introduction to this morning's message. Mike, let's say it. It's going to be a good year. It's going to be a good year. It's going to be a great year. This is going to be another year where all those things come true. <clears throat> well, how many of you had a great Christmas? I had a wonderful one thanks to Patty back there and her wonderful chocolates and pretzels. How many of you get excited every time you see pretzels and chocolate? Because you know that Patty made those. And uh, I'm not going to tell you how long they lasted in our house, but let's just say I've been working out all week. So, <laughs> in fact, I think it was, uh, oh, he's not here anymore, but Lucas, I, I, was, I was having a, he was a little sick uh, earlier this week. He had the flu, so he, he, you know, he couldn't eat anything fun. It was just all crackers and water. And I was eating one of those pretzels, and he, he comes up to me and he goes, <laughs> He's always, he always words things in a funny way for a four, five-year-old. And he looks at me and goes, Daddy? And he looked really serious. He goes, I think one of those needs to be in my mouth right now. <laughs> I, I, why don't you just say, Daddy, can I have one? You know? <laughs> Daddy, I think one of those needs to be in my mouth right now. <laughs> well, let's pray and we'll get right into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us into this new year. And Jesus, I just declare right now in the spirit, this is going to be a year of praise, a year of breakthrough, a year of joy, a year where we go deeper in our walk with Christ, a year where we experience the excitement of, of a year when God moves. And so, Lord, it's a, it's a brand new day, a brand new season, and we pray for a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit to come and wash over us, guide us, and empower us to live our lives for you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. I've got, uh, I've got a runaway monitor here. I think if you mute the electric guitar, you should be good. It's already muted. How about take out the, uh, the number two monitor? It's sounding like it wants to explode. It got a little mad at me when I started praying, so I think we might have to exercise the demon out of it after service this morning. But uh, Christina, could you yank the cord out for me? Never be afraid of something you can unplug. Come on. Is that not man over machine or what? (laughs) If you have a Bible, turn your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 30. Psalm 30. (laughs) Chapter 30, I don't know if that works, but Psalm 30. Most of you know we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew. We will return to that next week. I think there's going to be a lot of exciting messages that are coming as we finish out the Sermon on the Mount and get into some of the nitty-gritty of Matthew's parables the stories that Jesus told, and, and uh, fresh application for today. But, but for now, uh, you know, with Christmas and New Year, it's kind of a fun time to uh, examine a couple of different things. And so we're going to go to the Old Testament this morning. Psalm 30 says it's a psalm of David, and we're going to start in verse 8. Verse 8, Psalm 30, verse 8. Psalmist writes, To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? He's essentially saying, God, what good is my prayers and what good is my praise if I'm dead? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? God, how can I give you praise if I do not have breath in my lungs to give it? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth. Sackcloth is something that people would wear when they were in mourning or repentance. It was the lowest quality fabric that they could find, and they would adorn themselves with it as a statement, as a sign of their humble repentance before God or a king or whatever. You've removed my sackcloth. He says, you've removed my mourning. And you've clothed me, sackcloth was something you wear. Now I'm saying, you've clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. David's making a pretty bold statement here that the praises of God are not something we do in silence. In fact, a couple of songs later, he's going to define praise as something we shout. And then he finishes... Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. You ever been in one of those churches where it seems like almost the whole service is a praise service? When I was uh, in, in younger, much younger, about a decade and a half ago, uh, living in Seattle in the city, I was invited to a friend to go to Mount Zion Baptist Church. And it was off of Jackson Street, about a block off Martin Luther King Street. And we went down there, and it was a big, grandiose church. And their their praise team, they had guitars and basses and drums, but you could tell that was not the dominant instrument of the church. It was that big old organ. And oh my goodness, could that man, it was a man and a woman, both one service was a man, one service was a woman. They could play like I have never heard anybody play before. 
and the service started, they didn't have overheads like we have. They didn't have hymnals. They just started playing a song, and I realized everybody else around me was just making up the words. They were making up their own words. It sounded good. In fact, it sounded great. If you'd have closed your eyes and listened, you'd have heard different words, different sounds, different harmonies, all in key, rising up in the church. And then when the pastor went to preach, the dude still didn't stop playing the piano or the organ. He'd start, he'd make a point and you'd hear, and I was like, that's awesome. And every, I mean, I remember some of those points because I remember the piano like that came after it. It was a church filled with praise. But here's the thing that most struck me, because that can be duplicated. We could do that. The thing that struck me the most, the thing that you can't just duplicate as a pastor, the thing you can't just duplicate as a leader in the church is when you saw the people walk out of the church, they were so happy, so filled with joy. They could have got hit by a car and still said, thank you, Jesus. There was something that could not be taken away and what, what, what you saw was people overflowing with praise. Not people who did not have problems. There's a lot of problems, especially down in that area of Seattle. But they had found the way to conquer it, found the way to have victory through, over it. And it was through praise. In the Old Testament, one of the big, one of the big stars of the Old Testament is the prophet Isaiah. And one day, the prophet Isaiah had a real difficult task. God had given him a one-way mission. King Hezekiah, Isaiah's beloved king, friend, possibly relative, was ill. And he was inquiring of the Lord whether or not God would heal him. And the Lord sends Isaiah to give him the news. You will not be healed. Set your affairs in order you are going to die. And as Isaiah delivers this to the king, remember, he's delivering this to a man who could have him executed. And Isaiah does an about face and the Bible says he begins to walk out of the court of the king, delivers the message and walks away. What does Hezekiah do? He gets on his knees and he starts praying to God. He starts praising God. He starts reminding God of his faithfulness and how he's tried to follow him all the days of his life. He reminds God of psalms like this. God, how can the dead praise your name? Give me one more chance to give you praise while still in the body. And something happens. Something happens that is so uncanny for the Bible. God stops Isaiah and says, Isaiah, I want you to go back and I want you to tell Hezekiah because you are going to praise my name and because you have lifted your request to me, I am going to give you 15 more years of life. Isaiah's probably gotta be shocked. He's never had a message like this. And he turns around. He says, Hezekiah, God has heard your prayer. Because you chose to praise rather than despair. You'll have 15 more. You have 15 more years, Hezekiah. 
Still set your affairs in order, but you don't have to do it overnight. How many would say amen to that? <clears throat> I've noticed a lot that when we talk about coming before God and our relationship with God, sometimes we can get into what uh, some people have called the as soon as this happens syndrome. As soon as I get all the money I need, then I can get deeper with God. As soon as I get a wife, then I'll focus on God. As soon as I get a husband, then I will focus on God. As soon as God heals me, then I will lift my arms in praise. As soon as God gets me out of debt, then I will give to the church or to a ministry or to, you know, you know what I'm saying? You ever have that? I've had that. I think everybody gets that at some point where we get to, as soon as God does this, and we think about our relationship with God after a certain thing happens. This morning, what I'm going to challenge you to think is to begin to praise God before it happens. Before the answer comes, before the breakthrough comes, before the financial blessing comes, before it happens, so that we can turn, you know, a lot of times, you think about it, when we go to pray, oh God, I've got this going on in my life, and oh God, I'm worried about this, and oh God, I need to confess this, and da, da, da. and we simply regurgitate what God already knows. You know what I'm saying? He already knows all that. You're not going to tell him something he doesn't know. The power in that moment is not simply to just give a litany to God. I've got this wrong in my life. You know, I've got a relationship that's going south. My health is bad. My coworkers are bugging me to death. And you, we just, we just kind of hand this to God and say, make me feel better when God says, praise. Praise me in the storm. Mercy me, Cassie, whoever wrote. Praise me in this storm. Before we, we, we just we, we wait for all the praise me right there in it, in the midst of it. God's calling us this year to turn our complaining sessions into praise, to turn our crying sessions. It's not wrong to cry before the Lord. It's not long to take our requests for the Lord. It's long, wrong to take our requests from the Lord and leave them there. And forget who we're taking them to. We're taking them to a God who's worthy to be praised. We're taking them to a God who creates the universe with a word. We're taking them to a God who is bigger than anything we can imagine. Our problems are not bigger than God. God is bigger than every single problem. But when we complain and when we criticize, you know what happens? God becomes smaller. All of a sudden, we begin to think God it's not that God can't do certain things. It's that God doesn't do certain things, right? I had a professor in seminary, and we had a, a discussion one day, and she said, God does not heal, young man. He does not heal today. And I said, well, I'm a Pentecostal. I believe God heals today. And she looked at me, and she said, well, how does it make you feel? They're all into their feelings up there. How does that make you feel? that, that I, I'm telling you, I don't believe God heals me. I said, I'll tell you how it makes me feel. If I get sick, I'm not coming to you. That's how it makes me feel. Because I want someone with faith. I want someone who's going to help me praise through this trial, not abandon me to it. You listen? You get catch this? When your problems and doubts begin to become bigger than God, 
a little thing should go off in your spirit. It's time to praise. It's time to get on my knees. Now, there are obviously some problems and some wounds that run deep. Part of the reason why you have a problem is there is brokenness. There are things that have happened that you, you, need, you, need, you need to lift that up to the Lord many, many times. You need people to help you walk along the journey. You need, I'm not discounting that at all. But I am saying, add praise to it. Add praise to it. God, I'm a messed up, screwed up. This happened to me, and now I've got anger. Now I've got, I've got all these things, and I know that I've got a long road of healing to go through. But in the midst of that healing, I will praise you. I won't wait as soon as I am healed. Fact is, to our dying breath, there are going to be some things you take with you to the grave. Because part of God's plan to heal us is to let this body die and raise us up perfect so that you'll never have to worry about cancer or a hangnail ever again. Amen? Especially on the hangnail. All right. A couple of scriptures. When Moses was leading the Israelite army on that great big exodus, and it's a story a lot of people know. You've got the Israelites right at the Red Sea, and what do they need happen? They need the Red Sea to part. But the problem is they got the Egyptian army behind them. They got their swords drawn and they are riding fast. What does God instruct Moses to do? Stretch out your hands. Do you know what posture that would be for a good Israeli man? A posture of praise and worship. As Moses stretches out his hand, stretches out his staff, he is in a posture of praise before God, and all of a sudden, the sea opens up, they're able to cross over, and God brings victory when the enemy is behind them. Now, what happens when the enemy is in front of you? Joshua, in the book of Joshua, he has got the whole land in front of him. And really, the kingdoms he's about to engage are not major kingdoms, except for one. Except for one. There is one that has walls 40 or 50 feet thick. It's got an army. It's got chariots. They've got archers that could skin a squirrel at 500 feet. And here they are, Hard, battle-hardened, ready to go. They stand against an impregnable fortress. The enemy is in front of them, and it needs to be removed. What does God call them to do? The silliest thing any ancient army has ever done. They start marching around the wall singing Kumbaya. Hardened battle soldiers... They've just defeated King Og and Magog. They've already scored some victories. Come on. And then what does God have them do on the seventh day? Anybody on the Sunday school? What happens? They're, they're told to sing louder, right? What else happens? You got some trumpets blasting. You have got praise and worship rising up to God. And all of a sudden, those walls come tumbling down. What was the victory of Jericho? Was it that they were so great? or that God was so big. With Moses, you got the enemy behind you. God's got your back. 
With Joshua, you got the enemy in front of you. God's got you in what's coming in life in front of you. And then there's Jonah. What happens when you've been swallowed up by your enemy? Remember? Jonah's on a boat, storms rocking it, and all of a sudden, everybody starts freaking out. We've got to figure out what's going on. And Jonah finally comes to his senses. I am a Hebrew. I'm running from my Hebrew God. Throw me overboard and you'll be safe. Sure enough, they throw him overboard and the big fish, whale, shark, megalodon, whatever it would have been, swallows him up and he's in the belly of the whale. And the best part of the book of Jonah, the big lesson of the book of Jonah is while he is in the belly of the whale, it is then that he begins to soften his heart and praise God. He's within his enemy. He could be dead at any moment. All the whale had to do was burp him up in the middle of the ocean rather than the beach. And yet God delivers him through the praises and the prayers of his softened, humble heart. And the list goes on and on and on. Paul and Silas, Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are in prison. They're missionaries. They're trying to spread the good news. They're trying to tell people that Christ has come, that you can be free, that there is one God, and here is his son. They're thrown in prison. And Luke records an interesting detail. It was about midnight. And they were singing praise songs to God. Do you know what's odd? In that day and age, you didn't stay up till midnight. That, that, was, that wasn't normal. Now, last night, many of us, we stayed up till midnight, but we have lights, we have coffee, we have, you know, we've got a lot of aids to help us stay awake till midnight. It's a common thing for us. We've even got New Year's Eve on television that we can watch. They are alone in a dark, damp dungeon. They, they, go to sleep. Come on, you can praise God in the morning. You can take care of that stuff. You, listen, after God gets you out of prison, that's the time to praise. But while you're in prison, just shut up and do as the guard tells you, right? That's exactly what they didn't do because they realized that God was bigger than the prison. God was bigger than the guards. God was bigger than Asia Minor. God was bigger than the Roman Empire. God was bigger than it all. And they were not gonna let a night go by where they were not praising him because they were in a situation that they needed to get out of. And what happens? Knock, knock, knock. The praise got the attention of God. Oh, yeah. And what did God send? An angel. Many of you, you're tough. I know it. I can see it. But when I shake your hands, they scratch my skin off. You're tough. None of you could beat an angel. None of you could beat an angel. When God sends just one, of his angelic guards, we don't stand a chance. How much more when we go to God himself? Praising our problems before there's an answer, before there's a breakthrough, before the depression lifts, before the complaining goes away. In one of Joel... Osteen's books, he's a, he's a Christian author, pastor, 
He's in everything, it seems like. He has a quote in here that I wrote down, and I, I've always, I always thought it was a very good way to word it. He says, if you're going to live in victory, you have to learn how to praise in pain. If you're going to live in victory, you have to learn how to praise in pain. 2012 might bring disaster for you this year. You may get news this year you never wanted to hear. The victory comes when you learn how to praise in pain. Have you seen that commercial about the guy who's predicting horrible financial collapse? And you can go onto YouTube and watch it for free. You know, actually, the guy's not a kook. Well thought out, very well presented. It, it, it shook me a little bit how well presented and well thought. Usually you see these things on the commercial. It's like Jesus is coming back tomorrow, which he might be, by the way. I'm not trying to mock that, but, you know, people can get weird out there. And my thought is, man, what if this guy's right? What if we don't climb out of recession but fall deeper in it? Can we still praise God? Can we find the victory as we praise him in pain? Praising is prayer, action, or song, which speaks in faith and thanks God for who he is, what he does, and what he will do. Sometimes we got to remind God what he said. Oh, he's not being reminded of anything he doesn't know, but it builds our faith. As we begin to say things like, God, but you said in your word, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you a good future. God, it says in your word that it, you will be with me to the very end of the age. God, it says in your word that you are Jehovah Jireh, my provider. God, it says in your word you are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. God, I need to remind you what you said because right now I'm struggling. Actually, you're praising. Every time you remind God what he said, you are giving him praise. He loves it when we remind him what he says. When you have every reason to be discouraged, when you have every reason to be mad, when you have every reason to complain about everything that's going on, and yet you choose not to, and you choose to praise. Oh, let me tell you, that gets God's attention. Remember the story of the Roman centurion? He had every reason to despair. He said, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. If you just say the word, I know my servant will be healed. And what was Jesus' response? He was amazed. He's looking at all the Jews saying, I have not even found such faith among the people of God as I have this pagan. Go, your son will be healed. Your faith just burst through the mountain. And I can tell you, see, God is bigger than the mountain. So this morning, if there's any one thing to grab for 2012, my one, oh man, it's just pouring out of me, that we would praise our problems to God. We would praise our depression to God. We would praise our deficiencies to God. We would praise our criticalness to God. We would praise our doubts to God. We would, we would begin to lift all of those up in praise, speaking in faith, knowing that God is bigger than them all. Our problem as humans 
is we get in the, but it hasn't happened yet, right? That syndrome I was talking about earlier, I can do this when this happens. We need to go outside of linear time and just trust God for who he is, what he's done, and what he will do. There may be some suffering. We praise ourselves right through it. Praise ourselves right through it. Amen? Ushers, if you would come forward, we're going to take communion this morning. And I can't think of a better way to respond There's a verse in the book of Job and the verse says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Though he slay me, though it seems like right now God is killing me, yet will I trust in him. I know what I'm saying this morning is not easy. If it were easy, we'd all be doing it. And I have been in the parking lot of our church and I have seen people come in with their head down and leave with their head down. So I'm not for a moment trying to belittle the deep stuff of life. But I am trying to say this. Let's praise him through it. Let's praise him despite it. Let's look at whatever that depressing or despairing issue is and saying, you are going to have less power over me because I'm going to praise the God who has more power over me. Is praise just song? No. Sometimes you can praise God by going for a walk and speaking the Bible to him. When I lived up in Tacoma, I lived on a green belt so I could go out into the woods and sometimes I would just speak psalms to God, praising Him. And then I'd have this odd urge to hug a tree. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You You guys are all wondering about me. I know that. I know you guys are still wondering about me. No, I've never hugged a tree. Think about the words to this song. And every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name blessed be the name of the Lord blessed be your glorious name what are you facing what are you facing something in your in your marriage something in a relationship something at work something with your health 
something in your finances, praise through it right now. Just praise through it. I'm not talking about just being happy for happy's sake. I'm talking about being like Moses and lifting your hands to the sea. Being like Joshua and lifting your horns to the walls. Being like Jonah and bowing your head in the belly of the whale. Praise him through it. Now let's lift the bread together and let's praise Jesus. Yeah, go ahead and lift it up. I know it's a little weird. Sometimes when you praise, it's a little weird. Before I was a Christian and I came in church and I watched other Christians, I thought, they are weird. Now, you know what? Man, I'd be weird every day if I could to praise the God who is bigger than anything else. Jesus, we lift this bread up to you, God. And we ask, Lord, we praise you with it. We praise you with it. You said, do this in remembrance of me, God. We do it in remembrance of you. We remember that you are bigger than anything. We remember that you died to love us, to save us, and to free us. And God, whatever's going on in our lives in this world is temporary. God, we're going to you, which is eternal. You are our peace. You are our provision. You are our purpose. God, you are our praise. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and take it. And now lift the cup up. That cup is what brings you perfect peace. That cup symbolizes the blood that Jesus shed. The blood sacrifice that forgives everything. The blood sacrifice whose sign reads, paid in full. And so Jesus, we remember that this is the blood of the new covenant. And we do do this in remembrance of you, God. To honor you, And to praise you, we drink to praise you. Go ahead and drink. Remember that old song? Boy, many of you probably won't. Well, some of you will. Used to love the vineyard movement. I don't even know if I remember it now. Nope, I don't. So. (laughs) Hey, I'll just make up my own song of praise right now. (laughs) Don't tempt me. (laughs) Stand with me. Stand with me. And if I could ask you to do something a little silly, I'd like you to just raise your hands like Moses did right now. Raise them up. And just repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus. I'm going to praise my problems up to you. I give up the complaining. I give up the criticizing. You are a big God, and you are worthy of my praise. In Jesus' name, this is going to be a good year. 
Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Go in peace. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. So God bless you all. Have a great year. We'll see you next.